I refuse to believe that my dad was fired from his job as a road worker for theft. But when I got home, you know where this is going? All the signs were there. <laughs> a slice of apple pie is $2.50 in Jamaica and uh, $3 in the Bahamas. These are the pie rates of the Caribbean. Is that bad enough? Should we try for a worse one? One more? Uh, this one, oh man, I don't know. I was laughing my head off. I was laughing hysterically reading some of these to my wife. Do you know what she said? Please leave. Like, <laughs> I'm not kidding. This happened. She's trying to clean up the girls' room last night, and I was sitting on the ground laughing hysterically. How are you not laughing? She says, please stop talking and get out. <laughs> no, no, no. That, I have a captive audience. You guys are here for a sermon, and you're not getting it until you laugh. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Wait, last one. As I handed my dad, this is my favorite one, so okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to be all serious. As I handed my dad his 50th birthday card, he looked at me with tears in his eyes, and he said, you know, one would have been enough. As I handed him his 50th birthday card. Okay. Oh, man, you guys are, you guys are, it's a tough crowd. It's a tough. So last week, um, Melissa talked to us about community. And uh, the week before that, I don't know if you recall, it would be a, seems like forever ago now, I talked about holiness. And those themes are very much closely related. And the thing that's on my heart today seems to be like a, a bringing of those things together. So I want to talk on the theme of face-to-face. In the Old Covenant, space was sacred. You know, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? So God dwells everywhere, but, 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 but. He dwelled in a special way in Israel. And within Israel, there was Jerusalem. So for, in the sort of Old Testament theology, sacred space, the world, but if you want to get closer to the presence, you go to, we call it still, the Holy Land. And then within Israel, to get closer to the presence, you you go to Jerusalem. And to get closer to the presence than Jerusalem, you go to the Temple Mount. And then if you want to still get closer to the presence, you go into the court of Gentiles. But if, but if you want to get even closer, you go through the beautiful gate into the court of women. But if you still want to get closer you go through, how do you pronounce this, the Nicanor Gate, Nic- Nicanor, whatever, and you go into the hall or the, uh, the hall of priests. That's where the brazen altar is. But if you want to get closer, and by the way, none of us would have had access to this, 
at that, from this point forward. But if you want to get even closer, then you, you leave the hall of the priests and you go into what's called the holy place. And in the holy place, there's, there's the fire that is kept burning day and night. There's the showbread. There's the incense altar. But if you want to get even closer to the Lord, you enter then finally behind this curtain to what's called the most holy place. And if you want to get even closer, you stand in front of the ark with wings of the cherubim where the glory of the God of Israel would appear and you speak to him face to face. Now that's Old Testament imagery. I see what's going on. Boop. Got it. Are you tracking with me so far? So when you want to get face to face with God in the old covenant, it has to do with physical space and concentric circles of moving, moving closer and closer and closer and closer until you're face to face. And so then we find, we discover in this new covenant that Jesus makes with us that in order to get us out of that situation where all the effort is on our part to make great sacrifices to purify ourselves so that we can come face to face, now all of a sudden in this new covenant, Jesus has made massive sacrifices so that he is now coming to us face to face. Instead of us going toward God physically, God has abandoned that whole system and he's opened the most holy place and he's gone in pursuit of of us. Now, now it's no longer a physical place where we worship, but it's a it's through a person who's available everywhere. Right? So John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a woman at the well, and she says to him, Hey, our people say that, that we worship on this mountain. Y'all say that you worship in Jerusalem. When the Messiah comes, he's going to clarify all this. And he and Jesus says, I'm he, and let me tell you the truth. The time is coming and is now here when those who worship the Father won't worship here or there, but the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for that's the kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. Notice that. The Father is seeking. What's the Father seeking? He's seeking face-to-face worshipers. The whole point of everything God's been about is to, is, to, is to be able to be as close as humanly possible, I'm using a strange phrase there, to people, to his people. In Ephesians 2.22, Paul says that God is building a, a tabernacle or a, or a temple, a dwelling among us. There's a corporate picture. Sometimes the, the picture of we're a temple of the Holy Spirit becomes sort of an individual thing. And, and Paul does affirm that, right? First Corinthians, he says, don't you know that you, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? But that's not the most dominant picture of the temple in the New Testament. The dominant picture of the temple in the New Testament is not the individual believer, but rather the community of believers, in Luke's gospel, where Jesus says, you're not, look, you're not looking in the right place for the kingdom. You're looking over there, and you're looking over there, but the kingdom of God is 
Right, en hemin in the Greek. And that has, I think, wrongly been applied to mean within you or inside you. The best reading, I believe, of that Greek is among you. Among you. It's in your midst. The the gospel is not about simply the recovery of, of abandoning a spatial arrangement of worship to just an emotional worship arrangement. Rather, the gospel is about the formation of a community where God dwells. Yes, it's personal. Yes, it involves the individual. But it is a fundamentally social experience. Let me put it a different way. God's great dream is a family. It's a family. So for about 20 years now, I've been trying to figure out what's the best way to make disciples. Something like, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, that's right. 21 years ago. As a baby Christian, I, I entered the REACH program, which is a short-term missions program from our denomination. We're a part of a denomination that's about 100 churches that come from uh, the Reformation in the 16th century, radical, the Radical Reformation. People who read their Bibles and believed it began to follow their understanding of it at great cost. Persecution by the Catholic Church, persecution by their fellow Protestants. And our, our denomination has a, a short-term missions agency, and by short, they mean nine months to a year. So there's a three-month discipleship training uh, segment to it, and then there's a six- or a nine-month outreach. Sometimes back in the day, I think they, were, they had three-month outreaches, but uh, nowadays more, long, more lengthy terms. And it was uh, modeled on the YWAM uh, structure. And so I went through that program, and ever since I went through that program, I've been trying to figure out why... Colleges, even though Christian ones, do not seem to make disciples as well. Why seminary doesn't seem to make disciples as well. And why churches don't seem to make disciples as well as those kinds of programs. Those kind of programs that, that all of them explicitly say to you, we are not a church. We are a para-church ministry. We are doing this in partnership with local churches. But my experience and the experience of so many other people is that when you're in that program, the formative, the shaping forces that contribute to closeness to God, closeness with each other, growth in Jesus, theological, spiritual, and emotional formation happens so much more effectively than we normally see pretty much anywhere else. So for 21 years, I've been wondering and trying to figure out how can we reverse engineer what was so powerful about that experience so that we, churches, who have it as our primary mission to make disciples, can begin to be a little better at making disciples since these parachurch ministries are better at it than we are. 
And I've seen something. I've noticed trends, too. It's like people thrive when they're in the program, but when they get out of the program, it's hit or miss. Some people thrive. Some people fade away. Some people are no longer believers uh, who were thriving in Christ when they were in the program. Some people hit the local church, and they plug in, and they connect, and they serve, and they put to practice what they've been trained to do. But, but the percentages are disturbing. The retention rate is not, is not good. But I've noticed something. The, the people who leave those kinds of programs and end up thriving lifelong, there it is again, plug in to community that is intensive. So I've been reverse, trying to reverse engineer what is so powerful in terms of disciple making about these programs. I'm thinking they, they live together, they eat together, they, they, they have teaching daily together, they have meals together, they clean up the meals together, they do chores together, they go on community uh, impact events, outreach events together, they learn to hear God together, they worship and sing together, they play together, they have one-on-ones and they process together, they go through inner healing experiences together, they go on outreach together. And they deal with the ups and downs of life as very different kinds of people together. They learn to communicate together. Has anyone noticed a common word that I've been using throughout this little bullet point list? The word is together. There's something, there's something so critical about the together piece. It, it, cre- it creates... And then you look, look at the passage that Melissa read to us last week from Acts 2.42, and all the believers were. And they're breaking bread, and, they're, and they're, 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 they're doing the big church thing with the apostles' teaching, but then they're doing the little church thing with their eating food, and they're praying for each other, and they're, they're, they're pooling their resources so that those who have much can share with those who don't have enough. But the operative word here is Together. And I just, if I, if I could summarize the, the burden on my heart, this began as an effort on my part to, to begin to think about some of the challenges of holiness with, you know, these little devices. But as I began to process this, this device became not the real burden on my heart for the weekend, for, t- for right now, but the thing that became the burden on my heart was that, can you imagine... That Jesus sheds his blood and goes to, to you know, thousands of years of cultivating Israel as a culture and living as a missionary to shape a culture so that he could have face-to-face relationship with his kids. And can you imagine if, if in response to this great invitation and availability and at cost to himself, his pursuit of us for face-to-face intimacy if, if we lived at a distance? But I want to go deeper. I want to drill down deeper. His intention is to form a people who are not just intimate face-to-face living in the holy place, not the outer courts, not the temple mount, not the city, not just the country, but all the way into that place of intimacy with him. But, But his intention is to form a people who have gone that same journey through those steps of human closeness, proximity-wise, together with each 
other. There's so, like, this is a holiness issue. The, the goal of the gospel is intimacy with God and each other. And we won't get to a, this is what I've concluded after 21 years of meditating on what is so powerful. We want to make people who are in love with God and are equipped to love God's people, to love people and God's people. You want to, you want to make healthy, vibrant disciples who live in the overflow. You can't do it without deep, invasive immersion in a community. Amen. A community that's living on this mission together. And so, can you see why this started as a little meditation on me, on like, these devices are amazing. They're also amazing at pushing the intimacy form of our communication down. Let me just quick give you something I was thinking about this morning. In order, in order of least intimacy in mode of communication to most intimacy, in order to out in the world to in the holy place, I think it goes something like this. The news, the, the news, the newspapers, the news websites, the local news, the guide, the information, that's like the world. Then social media posts, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that maybe, maybe is like Israel. Then Facebook messages, emails, instant messages, and text messages might be somewhere in the temple courts. Right? A letter, a letter is maybe in the court of Gentiles. A voice phone call is in the holy place. A video chat might be in the holy place. But a face-to-face embodied real-world conversation is in the holy of holies. Now, it's possible to have those and be completely veiled. You know what I mean. With your, with your walls up and with your guard up. I get all that. But what I'm saying, this can be really helpful. This can be really helpful. But the medium is the message. And God's medium for the gospel was not the Ten Commandments, tablets of stones. That was the law, not the gospel. His medium of the gospel is the word became flesh and lived among us as one of us. And we saw him. We touched him. We heard him. And John says, I laid my head on his chest. And then Jesus says, it's going to be better for you if I go away because if I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And you'll be even closer than now. We think of the Holy Spirit as something given to us who live historically removed so that we can kind of approximate what it was basically like, but not as good. 
And he says to those who have him physically in their midst already, it'll be better for you if I leave. Because then I'll be inside you and I'll be among you. The operative word is together. I think this is so difficult to know how to track. John says no one's ever seen God. But if God's But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. All right, let me try to unpack that. That's 1 John 4.12. No one's ever seen God, but if we love each other, they will. No one's ever seen God. But if we live in such an intimate way, face-to-face, unveiled, if we, will, if we will tear the curtain that protects our true self from each other, and we will enter each other's holy of holies. This, guys, this is the holiness issue. Jesus said, like, there's one command. There's one new command I give you. Love one another. Love one another. John 13, 30, what is it, 35? By this, people will know y'all are my, my followers if you love each other. And like, there's this picture in John's theology. There's this picture in John's theology where he seems almost obsessive with, the, with Christians loving Christians. And you're like, dude, why don't you ever talk about Christians loving the world? He just, honestly, he seems hung up on Christians loving Christians. Why? If we'll do that, we'll have something worth inviting people into. If we don't do that, we're bad news for the world. Like you can't, we can't even get the Great Commission off the, off the runway until we get the Great Commandment enfleshed in action in a real community. So how do we do this? Well, man, we're going to have to we're going to have to go deeper with each other. Deeper with God and deeper with each other. Is it, are we tracking? This is God's great dream. He doesn't have another. It is scary. See, and not only is it scary to go near to him, we think, "Oh, well Jesus already paid the price." Are you crazy? There are new covenant sacrifices. Do you think intimacy with with another person who's not you is safe? Maybe our sacrifices are not goats and rams and whatnot. Like just this morning, I leaned over after Tammy, you shared. There's a pastor who I'm not going to name right at this moment who's recently on Instagram said that he's no longer a Christian, he no longer considers himself a Christian. And um, he grew up in a very conservative kind of context. Um, 
Um, I don't know if he's still in the church, Bunny. I don't know. Um, uh, recently divorced and used to be pastor of a really, really big church. And, man, my heart goes out to him so, so much. And I leaned over to Carrie after you had your vulnerable moment in public. And I said, I don't know that he would have been able to do that in his church environment. I think his church environment would have been leaders are brave and strong, and then one day you find out that they're no longer saved, or Christians, or self, whatever you want to call it. The Lord knows if he's saved. I don't know. Does, am I, how am I tracking? Are you, are you seeing a connection? Like, Because real intimacy in the Old Testament is the, the metaphor... The shadow that there are new covenant realities, the, the, the shadow has ongoing significance. Like it costs you something to enter. You're gonna have, there's stuff that's going to have to die for you to risk really coming close. And you could say, well, we're in the new covenant. Jesus already paid the full price. Yes, he paid the full price from God's perspective, from God's side of the equation. But there's issues that we have to surrender. There are risks we have to take. There's stuff that has there's, And to have real community, face-to-face, there are sacrifices we make on the way through the layers of closeness. It's messy in the holiest, on the Holy of Holies. Everything's sprinkled with blood. It's gory in there. Have you ever thought about that? It takes work in there, doesn't it? Round the clock, there's a fire that's kept burning. And I just, I don't know. I, it just feels like such a holiness issue to me. Such a holiness issue to, to me. It's like keeping people and God on the, on the, on the, on a, at a distance. It's like the dominant holiness issue of our, of our lifetime. Because the risk is so great. You could call it risk. You could call it sacrifice. Risk is one thing. It says it might be a sacrifice. Sacrifice is something else. It says, okay, I'm paying the cost. Rather than risk is I'm going to potentially pay a cost. But I'll take the risk. Maybe it will be worth the risk. No, no, no. It's sacrifices. John's ama- John, John, like the Apostle John, I'm serious. Like he says so much about love each other, love Christians, Christians loving Christians, but the, the church being one, living in the light together, confessing their sins to each other, sharing with each other, having fellowship with each other. That's interesting. If we, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We'll have fellowship with each other, and then the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He ties. He ties the right relationship to God with a face-to-face, unveiled relationship with the church. He connects the two. Individualism is just like out the window in the New Testament. There's, There's no individualism. Let me... All right. Second John and Third John end the same way, and it's just fascinating. You guys believe that like all Scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching and training and encouraging and equipping, rebuking, all Scripture. So if I read you some verses, they're not throwaway verses. 
right? So, so check this out. Second John and Third John in the same way. I'm going to read them both. Second John, verse 12. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it with paper and ink, for I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face. Then our joy will be complete. Third John. Verse 13, I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink, for I hope to see you soon, and then we will talk face. You think those are inspired? You think that's revelation? Or is it throwaway? Do you hear what I'm saying? Why does John say, look, I'm willing to write you a letter if that's the only way to communicate with you because real life's going on and I need to communicate with you. I have to stay connected to you somehow. I'm willing to write you some things in a letter. But my intention, as soon as I can, is to get out of the outer courts and into the inner courts and into the holiest of holies with you in my heart to your heart, my face to your face. Because I know there's something that happens there that doesn't happen elsewhere. I'm willing to, to, to listen to podcasts. But this is different. I'm willing to message you in text message, but us sharing a meal face-to-face, doing life, putting a hand on your shoulder, crying together, laughing together, playing together, praying together, serving together, going through inner healing together, reaching out to other people who don't know Jesus together. The operative word here being together. I'm convinced this is a profound holiness issue and challenge of our time because now more than ever, We can suppress our appetite for real community with bits and pieces of connection. Facebook status, likes, comments, and even vulnerable conversation isn't the same as embodied presence. Disembodied presence is good. But we always, in my little list here of like, you know, moving up from like the news, the tweets, the Facebook status, social posts... Then direct messages are even better, closer. Text, instant message, email, Facebook message. Then even more intimate is written letter. Takes, it's something about, there's something healthy about slow-cooked. Microwaved communication versus slow home-cooked simmering for a long period of time. Y'all even know the toaster oven's better than the microwave. I mean, and that's, that's actually still pretty quick. One of these days, I wish I could kill my microwave, but... There's some Chinese food that needs to be reheated. So anyway, was that an amen? Did I get an amen on that point? That's hilarious. So, you know, vague news, reports, social, social media posts. Oh, did you see what he posted the other day? I saw a picture. He went to a ball game. He looked beautiful and happy. Like... Instagram, double tap. Then direct messages, texts, emails. And I've noticed that like how old you are determines like which one of those is your dominant mode. I still email, which means I'm probably not a millennial. When's the last time you wrote a letter? I wrote a dude a letter because I couldn't call him and I couldn't text him. It took like an hour and 10 minutes. 
I had to find these weird things called stamps. You ever heard of stamps? Anyone heard of stamps? You heard of stamps? Have you ever written a letter? One time. That was probably the one time in the last 10 years I wrote a letter. Front and back with my little fountain pen that I, use, that I dip in ink. It slows me down even more because I read C.S. Lewis. Like to use the fountain pen because it slowed him down. And when you slow down, you choose your words more carefully. And plus it's ink, so you choose your words more carefully. That guy feels really connected to me even now because I wrote him a letter. You know, Grandma used to write us birthday cards and put a piece of gum in them and maybe $5. And honestly, the gum... You know what was so special about the gum? Sensory. It was, it, was, it was physical. It was incarnational. It had smell. It had taste. And that made this, like it was moving in the direction of embodied presence. You know when people write love letters and they spray their perfume on them? I'm telling you right now, that's going to do something. I'm for real, y'all. But from letters, then it's a voice call. A voice call is far superior. Why? 80% of communication is nonverbal. 80! Learned that back in college. I remember thinking, so when I text you instead of call you, 20, there's a there's a 20% chance you're going to correctly hear. You have to really know me to, to interpret my nonverbals correctly on a text. I mean, you know what the most disastrous thing you can text people is? The, the two little letters, okay. I don't have a clue what that means. Saw a guy say something like, gave a lengthy text to my wife. She texted back, K. I'm as good as dead. <laughs> Nonverbals matter. Voice calls are superior. Video chat you would think is superior, but then you have to put on shirt. So just saying, that's kind of not as... But if you can go face to face, if you can go face to face, and you go, how is this a spiritual sermon? You're talking about... Trust me, it's very spiritual and it's very countercultural. And it's and, and and I don't know how else I don't know how else to make disciples except for together, to do life together. And it is a holiness issue. It is a holiness issue. Really, we should have like a bunch of application questions here at some point. You know, how do, how, do we, how do we do this? But I, I remember reading a book years ago of a gentleman who worked in an advertising firm. And he was processing this. He was, he actually, he was, he was, basing, he was basing, he's like, the tr- he was looking at the, the Trinity, the nature of God, the interrelationship of God, and how God is intensely relational, intensely personal, and his way of communicating is he, he always, he's always increasing intimacy in the way he communicates and always aiming at drawing us up, up the ladder to the more intimate ways. And he, he started to go, okay, what if I tried to apply this at work? So for the next month, 
Every time he was tempted to just nor- do his normal workflow, he, he looked, is there a way that instead of just sending a, an email, I could walk across the company, go up a few flights of stairs, and walk into that person's office and just talk to them real quick. So he was always stopping himself for a month as, a, as an experiment. To, he was stopping himself to say, is it possible to increase the intimacy of this mode of communication. Now the person's not present. Yeah, but could I do a voice call instead of an email? Could I respond to their email by walking into their office and having a conversation? Here's what he found. Here's what he found. He found that it took a long time. Right? It's really inefficient. You know what else he found? He found that he got all of his projects done way ahead of schedule because everyone made his projects priority, even sometimes at the cost of their own projects. That's interesting. Next, so it cost him more time on the front end, but his projects, they were willing to miss their own deadline for their own project because they had just had a face-to-face interaction with him that caused them to say, yeah, I got to get that for Tom. And this all went into his... Now he doesn't work for a BMW as, or an advertising agency anymore. Now he's a pastor, or at least he was when he wrote the book. That never left me. Because to him, that was him trying to emulate the Trinity. Saying, instead of get things done, it was how can we increase unity and relationship and proximity? Always be thinking Proximity. 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 I don't know. I don't know if I can... When I was preparing for this, there's about two different points in my little rant where I broke down crying. And this today has seemed relatively calm. And what was making me cry in my prep time was just how on God's heart this is and just how how important it is to the Father that He's not trying to save souls, individual souls, from some sort of uh, theoretical thing out here. But He has, it's not just what we're saved from, it's what we're saved for. And what we're saved for is a life of abundance. A life of abundance this way. And a life of abundance this way. And you can't weaken this without weakening this. And you can't weaken this without weakening this. That's not going to go through in the audio on the podcast, is it? He said a lot of this is. What was he pointing at? I don't understand. Maybe this isn't a feel. Maybe this doesn't feel like like a deep message. But I really want us to think about what, what are the layers of the, whole, of the holy place? You know, when somebody makes, like just yesterday, someone was on the phone with me and they gave me an incredible gift. They let me know how they're struggling. You know how tempting it is to hide that? When you're supposed to be spiritual and you're supposed to have it together and you're supposed to be a good Christian, you're supposed to trust God, you're supposed to believe, 
And, and, and I praise God for the gospel truth that we are doing as well as we're believing. Praise God for the power of the resurrection that is here in this life to carry us through. Praise God that we've got the resurrection power that enables us to no longer be slaves of sin. Like, praise God. But praise God for the grace that we're not under law. We're not being measured up all the time and judged. That we're, we're, in a, we're, we're in a place where we don't have to hide it. Like I, I fear that one pastor may have felt pressured to hide his crisis of faith and his deconstruction of worldview and his doubts until on his own, because this isn't a safe place to journey together, on his own, he's gone to a place that he would have never gone. If he'd had the strength of the community. If he'd had the support of the community. Now maybe I'm wrong, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, people still have choice, no matter what we do. But our best shot at thriving is together. See, 2 Timothy 2.22 has become a bit of a, like a, a, a tattoo on my heart. Flee whatever stirs up youthful lusts. And run after. So run away from whatever stirs up your sinful passions. And run after. What? Jesus. Along with those who are also running after Jesus. Why? Why doesn't it just say... Stop sinning and go after Jesus. Because Paul knows. Paul knows. The way to get there is together. Chances are that when we're not experiencing a community of grace and support, we're going to have a challenging time experiencing a God of grace and support. I'm saying chances are. I'm not, these are not absolutes. I want to talk a little bit about a culture. Paul understands, 2 Timothy 2.22, that culture is like the current of a river. I heard Chris Vallon say this. He said, people come to our school of ministry and they thrive. They find their prayers answered easily. They find it easy to trust Jesus. They find it easy to to walk out in public and expect miracles. They find it easy to find victory over sin. They find it easy to know who they are in Christ. They find it easy to worship and sing and pray and trust and believe. And they think it's because they've changed. They think it's because of their own personal journey, their own personal development, their own personal graduation, and their own personal grasp and victory of things. Then they leave our environment, and they suddenly find it harder to believe. They suddenly find that they don't have as many people healed when they pray. They suddenly find that they're struggling with things they thought they had mastered 15 years ago. And it's because there's something about running together in a culture that creates a, a, a current of a river. And if you just relax in, a, in, a tu- in an inner tube, you're headed the right direction. And if you paddle, you're accelerated. But if you turn and swim upstream, it's like in this culture, being greedy actually gets confronted. Oh, no. In this culture, being disconnected and not serving anyone, but just being about yourself, gets, 
you're the only one. Everyone else is serving. Everyone else is giving. Everyone else is like, dude, this is where the joy is at. What are you thinking? You're, oh, fine, I'll give, I'll serve. Right? In this culture, I hate myself, and everyone's a mean jerk. Screw everyone. You're just swimming against the curtain. These people know they're loved, and they know you're valuable. They're going to confront that stuff, but out by yourself, trying to fight hard. It's a different story. The goal, my, my, my heart, our heart as the leadership team, I think our heart as a com- congregation, because I know you guys, is that somehow we create a little culture here where it's easier to believe. It's easier to fall in love with Jesus. It's easier to learn how to love people. It's easier to forgive. It's easier to hear God's voice. It's easier to f- see the beauty of Jesus in what he's done in history, in, this, in his book. Our, our, our intention is to run toward the cross like a child. Perfect. Into a mother's arms. Do you hear what I'm, are you picking up what I'm throwing down? And, you know, all of us stink compared to our ideals, right? But our ideals still matter. And we're still trying to journey toward them. And let's just put it on record. We're called to be a family. Somebody asked me, you know, why did we switch it from be disciples and make disciples to we're a family? Because you can't do the be and make disciples without the family. It's what's on God's heart. It's his great dream. So let's move from the general news past, past the outer courts of Facebook statuses and Instagram images, past the court of the Gentiles of direct messages and texts, past the holy place of letters even, and voice calls even, and face time even, into the most holy place of heart to heart, face to face, with God. Oh man, there's risk there, guys. There's sacrifice there. There's blood and guts and gore there, guys. And with each other. Took that sabbatical a while back, and I realized I had faith in Jesus, but he was trying to give me faith what he told me explicitly. He said, you've believed in my son, now I want you to believe in my people. Your gospel is incomplete, boy. May the Lord empower us to go deep with God and go deep with each other so we can get there together, God's people said. 